Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm Joey Lovato, the producer and editor of Indie Matters. This week, Michelle Rendells and Megan Messerly sit down to talk about the economic forum that happened on Wednesday, and all of the concerns that it's brought up from education funding to smaller issues such as a railroad museum. In pursuit of our mission to provide reader-supported, nonpartisan journalism, the Nevada Independent sometimes accepts sponsorships for the podcast and events. The sponsors have no input on topics or content. This episode of Indie Matters is sponsored by the Nevada Mining Association. I'm Michelle Rendell's reporter with the Nevada Independent. I'm here with my colleague, Megan Messerly. And we're going to chat a little bit about uh, this week. This week has really been focused on the Economic Forum. And for those of you that don't know, that is a group of five. Uh, they're not all economists. I was corrected on that. They're business leaders or people kind of in the finance fields. Uh, that are sort of experts. And what they do is they analyze all the state's revenue streams. So sales tax, property tax, insurance, premium tax, all these taxes that we have. And they kind of make an educated guess on where are these tax streams going in the next two years. And then basically they create a binding number that the legislature has to work within. Sometimes when you're in a good year, basically you get this windfall of extra money and they predict, yeah, things are a lot better than we expected in December. And you're going to have a hundred million dollars uh, more that you get to play with. And so last time that happened, I think you remember that Megan mm-hmm. last session, 2017, the economic forum came out with, you know, a prediction that there were probably a hundred million more dollars than they originally guessed. And that gave them wiggle room to do all sorts of crazy things. They got to, you know, raise salaries and they got to give 25, million dollars to build the UNLV Medical Center. There was just like all this spending at the very end of the session that was just everybody got something. This time was a decidedly different outcome. Megan, you want to explain a little bit about what we heard yesterday? Yeah, so we kind of had a sense um, going into the Wednesday meeting that this wasn't going to be a huge windfall for the legislature, right? We saw the documents um, posted online the day before, and we took a look at them. Of course, the Economic Forum, they have these various different forecasts, and they kind of get to pick and choose amongst them, you know, which one they think is the most accurate, or they can actually just come up with their own number, too. Um, But we were looking at some of those projections, and we just did didn't see, you know, a ton of room in those projections compared to the December forecast. So in total, they still came up with an $8.8 billion budget, uh, which is what we were looking at before. But ultimately, they decided on a budget that was $42.8 million more than the December budget. And that sounds like a lot of money and, you know, it can fund a lot of things, but it's still really pennies compared to the overall budget when you're looking at this budget that's made up of millions of dollars. One of the interesting things that, that we saw is really only about 11 million of that is in uh, the two upcoming fiscal years. So the 2020 and 2021 fiscal years. So those are the, that's the upcoming biennium for which the budget is being set. But the Economic Forum also revises their projections for the existing fiscal year. So we're in fiscal year 19 
right now. Um, so they actually revised up projections for that as well, giving you know another 30 or so, 31 million dollars in the current fiscal year. Um, and so the interesting thing about that is is that money can be obviously spent this year, or it can be rolled over, and that could be money that lawmakers have to work with for the upcoming budget. But it's just a question of how that all works out. Um, but one of the things that we were talking about yesterday, we um, tracked down Assemblywoman Maggie Carlton, who chairs the Assembly Ways and Means Committee, and her counterpart in the Senate, uh, Senator Joyce Woodhouse, to ask them about the forum's projections. And something I think both of them pointed out was you know, you could have this money, but it's not like you can use it to fund, you know, ongoing priorities, right? That $11 million over the biennium is only about $5 million-ish in one uh, year and $6 million-ish in the other year. So that's not a lot of ongoing spending. So you might have this, you know, 30 or so, 31 in 19, but you can't use that to fund these really big ongoing priorities. So it's not like something you can devote in any substantial way to salaries or any ongoing expense. So they were saying this kind of money could be used for, you know, what are known as one-shot appropriations. So that could be building a building or like you were mentioning, money to the medical school, sort of these one-time expenditures where you say, we're allocating X dollars for X specific purpose, but it's not an ongoing year over year expense. I think that was the biggest thing that sort of came out of the meeting. Yeah. Basically, there's just not a whole lot going forward that they're going to be able to keep going. And part of that reason is that they do expect the economy to slow down. I thought one of the most interesting presentations was Moody's analytics mm-hmm. and yep. you know this economist that just has this really global view of what's going on and they're really trying to predict when the next recession is. It's actually a really difficult thing to do as we kind of learned. Yeah. yeah. Um what was their ultimate conclusion on kind of where the national economy is going. Yeah. So, and this was kind of interesting, I thought, because, um, you know, they, they revised their projections from a fall meeting in which they had, they were expecting a slowdown to occur mid 2020. And now they're anticipating more toward the end of 2020 is when this economic slowdown would occur. And I think it's interesting, right? Because we talk about when the next recession is going to hit, but we also heard a lot of phrasing talking about you know, an economic slowdown. So it's not saying, you know, we're, we're going backwards, but we're just not going to grow as fast as we've been growing. I think they also called it a growth recession, right? So thinking about we're just not going to be doing as well as we have been doing, but we're not necessarily sliding backwards significantly. And as part of that discussion, I'm sure you found this interesting too, was some of the discussions about the diversification of Nevada's economy, right? And how far we've come since the last recession, which will be 10 years ago in June. And I just thought it was really interesting, this um, conversation about, you know, workforce. And obviously we still have, you know, a significant number of, of workers in the hospital hospitality industry, but how we had expanded to these other sectors that are a little bit more recession proof. I know they were looking at the job openings, right, to see which one of those, which ones of those could go away if a recession hits. And they saw, you know, some in the healthcare industry. And that's an industry that's a little bit more recession proof, right? People need healthcare. It's not discretionary spending, right? You have to go to the doctor. So they were looking at some of the promising signs that there had actually been, yeah, an increase in the types of workers in the economy. And one of the things that I found interesting was they had actually talked about the construction workers and their still been a significant growth in the construction industry. We know, you know, housing still, you know, being constructed rapidly here in Nevada. Um, But one of the things that I found most interesting was that 
they were saying we're not actually technically meeting the demand for our construction workforce, but in some ways that that may be a savior for Nevada in that we're not growing as fast as we could be growing, right, in terms of having a housing boom. So in some ways our uh, construction worker shortage has saved us from ourselves in terms of having a housing oversupply, though obviously still there's a significant demand, lots of folks coming here. Um, you know, we've seen sort of the impact on on the housing markets. And I think you, you paid attention to some of that too in the forum, right, as far as housing policy goes. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking about buying a house, so I'm really interested in kind of what what's going on with the housing market. One thing that was really remarkable was this chart that they showed of what was going on in the construction industry kind of, you know, in 2004, 5, 6, 7, all leading up to the recession. And you're just seeing, I think it was uh, something like 36,000 single family home permits every year in the state of Nevada, um, just constantly going up, leading up to the recession. And then now when we look at it, there's only about 12,000 of these permits going on every year. I mean, just think of that. That's a third of what was going on. So you could just see that the housing market was just going crazy before. And that was partly what led to such a huge crash, such a, the worst foreclosure rate in the nation. Mm -hmm. Um, You just had tons of houses and tons of supply. Um, Now we're seeing it's hard to find houses, but as you're saying, that might be a better thing, a more sustainable situation than we were in pre-crash. Right. And, And like you're saying, you know, Nevada has tried to intentionally shape its workforce and and tried to spur certain industries. And and it seems to some extent Mm -hmm. that that is working. That's making us a little more recession proof. We're not going to just be down in the dumps as much as we were kind of, you know, in 2009. Megan, in our talk with uh, some of these legislative leaders, what was sort of the consensus about, you know, here we are, we have a number, it's $43 million dollars. Uh, what does it mean for the last month of the session? Yeah, I mean, I think the consensus is, I mean, more more money is always good, right? Although uh, Assemblywoman Carlton did have this quote where she said, you know, so many of the effect of money can still be a bad thing because then everyone comes to you asking for it, right? Which which she gets as, as chair of ways and means. I, obviously, you know, in general, having more money to work with is a good thing, right? That means more projects that can be funded. But I, I don't think we got the sense from either of them that this really moves the needle. You know, there are a lot of these really big priorities that need to be funded, uh, like teacher pay raises that the governor's been talking about. We've just seen a lot of these other still pretty significant policy proposals. There's this, you know, long list. We, we looked through some of them this week, these millions and millions of dollar proposals. So those very quickly start adding up, you know, 20 million here, 20 million there, and you've eaten up the whole, you know, additional money that the economic forum forecasted. So I think the consensus, right, was that there, this is good, you know, having more money to work with is always good, but this isn't a game changer for the way that the budget's shaping up, particularly as we think about, you know, and we've talked about this week, the issues with the teacher pay raises and whether there'll be funding for that, um, and looking at the funding formula too, and any, you know, changes to the budget that that might make. Yeah, and that's a good segue into kind of where we're at with this funding, the school funding issues, as I think it's just going to be, it's kind of the biggest unresolved issue that I see right now. And basically what we found is that Governor Sislak has made this promise that I'm going to raise teacher salaries by 3% for cost of living adjustment, and then I'm also going to do 2% merit increases. So that's just, you know, allowing someone to make a little more money just because they've had more years of service or they're going back to school and getting a master's or something like that. So basically it's kind of like a 5% pay raise. 
Um, and even Governor Sandoval was the one that first uh, broached this topic. He put this in his proposed budget last year. But what we're finding kind of as, as people have taken a deeper look at this is that the underlying assumption was that kind of the school districts would cut a little bit to be able to afford the... 3% raises. You actually have to lower the amount that you give the school district for um, just general operations and maintenance of what they're already doing uh, to kind of reach into your pocket and be able to muster out that 3% teacher raise. So um, this is kind of why you're seeing, especially in Clark County School District, calls for $120 million more dollars. I think that figure is an annual figure. So, I mean, we're talking like $240 million that the school district says we need the legislature to pony up $240 million more dollars to be able to give these two different raises and then also to pay for the rising cost of healthcare. Cause as we know, mm -hmm. that is always going up. Yep. Yeah. Always. <laughs> healthcare always. expert over here. Yeah. Um, so I think it's sort of a, it's, it's a little bit of a, a standoff perhaps between legislative leadership and the governor and the school district right now, because you've got on one side, the school district, uh, CCEA is kind of threatening and hinting that they want to do a strike and, and the legislative leadership, uh, talking with Maggie Carlton, I mean, she'd say, I'm not sure I believe their math. Mm -hmm. They've told us in the past that they had all these needs. And when we dug into it, it wasn't, it was just, they wanted more and they weren't getting all they wanted. So I think right now they're having those discussions among the leadership. Like, what do we do? How do we resolve this issue so that the Clark County School District is fulfilling Sisolak's promise and giving those teachers those raises? Because they get the money. They could, they could do whatever they want with it, really. They don't have to give the raise. The school right. district is the one that makes that decision. Yeah. Um, but of course, Sisolak wants the money to go to the teacher raises because right, right. he, he promised that. Yeah, he doesn't just want to say, I gave them this money and then, oh no, it didn't actually end up going mm -hmm. toward the raises. He, he would like to see that money actually go to the teachers. So, yeah. so I actually ran into Superintendent Jesus Jara today. He had been coming out of the Assembly Speaker's office and he said they had a productive discussion. So I guess we'll see where things are going to be going with those teacher raises. You know, Sislek does not want to raise taxes. So they're in a bit of a, a tough position. And and we talked with Frierson yesterday, Speaker Frierson, and he seemed to suggest they're going to work within their means. So unless they've got a secret that they're not telling us, um, they're going to somehow have to make the budget work out. Right. And, and for me, I think one of the biggest questions in all of this, and this is something you wrote about last weekend, is this funding formula, right? And that's on top of these teacher pay raises. We're expecting, you know, some significant overhaul of the state's, you know, very complicated, longstanding funding formula. We haven't seen the bill yet. We're still waiting on that. Um, but we don't know if there's going to be a budgetary impact, right? I know you've written a little bit about that and, and writing about, you know, is the state going to be, are, are, we, are some of the counties going to be held harmless in this conversation? You know, is that going to cost more money? What have you been hearing on that front as far as the funding formula? Well, we still have not seen the funding formula, and that's been a big point of contention that, you know, here we are with now only really like 30 some days left in the session, and we haven't seen this thing that's supposed to reshape the face of Nevada education mm -hmm. and move us towards the future. Uh, so I think people, you know, are rightfully anxious about what's going on with that. Why is it taking so long? And, and I think the mo the thing that makes the most sense to me is I heard someone say, you know, it's just um, it's hard when you don't have an infusion of a lot of new money because you you've got to 
figure out ways to try to make it work for everybody. So you don't have, you know, winners and losers. So hopefully we're going to see something maybe next week. Um, and have a discussion on what Nevada's new funding formula would look like. But again, I think that the funding formula that have been discussed in the past have really included a large infusion of money and a bunch of money to really help English learners and, and kids in poverty. And they have suggested funding levels that are much higher than what we already have. So, I mean, potentially what could happen is is we we pass us a funding formula structure and, and it says it's going to kick in, you know, in two years. But but then what are you going to do? I mean, are there going to be new new taxes next year to bring in a bunch more cash? Or, or is that not going to happen next session? And, and what if, like Moody says, the recession happens and we're just not even in a position where anyone has an appetite right. to um, talk about putting more money to education? Yeah, that seems to be one of the concerns, right? If, if the funding formula doesn't go into effect until the next budget cycle, you know, collective bargaining, that's also another, you know, conversation that, you know, could be passed this session, but wouldn't go into effect until the next budget cycle. So it's not something lawmakers are budgeting for right now. Um, it seems like there is some concern, at least among, um, you know, some lawmakers that we've talked to that, you know, what does that mean if, like you mentioned, the recession does kick in sometime in late 2020, what kind of position is the legislature going to be in to fund those priorities in the next legislative session? I think that will be a really interesting question and something that we'll be, I mean, we'll be keeping our eyes on, you know, as as the state does go into a projected um, recession and, and seeing what kind of, how that leaves the budget, right? And how that leaves some of these big ticket priorities that, you know, the governor is, has said he's behind. Yeah, and we we spoke with Republican Senator Benke Giffers, former chair of the Finance Committee, and now you know still is on the committee, and that was his big thing. Is is you know Governor Sisek has also promised collective bargaining for state workers, but his concern is that then the state is going to be tied to whatever the bargaining units arrive at. And how how are we going to afford a lot more? You know, if something dramatic doesn't change next session because potentially a lot of big changes would be past this session and take effect next session. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And and beyond sort of, you know, we've been talking about these big ticket education priorities, but, you know, I was thinking we should talk a little bit about some of these smaller ticket items, right? There's just so many, you know, dozens, hundreds of proposals, bills just sitting in Senate finance and assembly ways and means right now, either with fiscal notes on them of hundreds of tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in total and um, others that have direct appropriations in them, right? And we're just waiting to see what moves. And, and this is the time in the session, right, when, you know, they can actually sit down and say, okay, this is how much everything costs, you know, what what room do we have left in the budget, you know, or is there other stuff in the budget we can cut to get some of this done? Um, so I think it's been interesting looking at that list and seeing how much might not get done this session or is not mm-hmm. going to get done this session because the money just isn't there. So what are some of the proposals that, that you've been looking at that are, you know, some of the, the most expensive, um, you know, in terms of their, uh, compared to their policy weight? Well, a lot of the scholarships um, have really big fiscal notes on them. Amber Joyner, basically former assemblywoman um, had been working on this issue and she had come up with this proposal of a um, battle-born opportunity grant, which would extend the need-based aid to students at UNR and UNLV. 
But if you were to meet all of the need and all those, uh, for all those students, it would be $126 million every two years. Um, obviously, the scholarship probably does not have any chance of passing at that level. It'd probably pass at a lower level. But I think the question now is, will it pass at all? Will, mm -hmm. will there be any money towards that? Because it was not in, in Governor Sislak's budget. Another thing that I saw, our colleague Luce Gray on the Spanish side did an interview this morning with Rudy Zamora of Chispa, which is an environmental group, and they were talking about the recycling bill. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we grew up in California where mm -hmm. you can turn in your uh, soda can and get five cents yeah. on it. Um, Nevada does not have that, but this bill from Senator Melanie Scheibel would bring that to Nevada. But it's got a fiscal note. It says every future biennial, it's going to be $14 million to run this program. And it's just kind of sitting in finance right now. We have no idea if um, that's going to come to fruition. And then, of course, yeah. you've got all the healthcare bills that you've been following, especially Medicaid, yeah. the demand for more Medicaid reimbursements yeah, is yeah. always on the mind. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the different proposals, I mean, there, there's one that would um, allow for more seamless continuity coverage of children on Medicaid and, and that has a giant fiscal note. I mean, just anything related to Medicaid, right, is going to have a significant fiscal note because the state has to put in a contribution even as it um, expands these services and, and may get some money from the federal government for it. I know there, there are other bills. I mean, we were looking at some of the autism legislation that, that you've been following and that's, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Um, we we're looking at even the Railroad Museum in Boulder City. There's going to be another chunk of money for that, you know, so it's, it's really just lawmakers have to kind of sit down and, and say where where are we putting our money this session? You know, if we have $10 million, are we going to put $10 million here? Are we going to do one here, one here, one here? And I think that's where some of the really interesting end, end of session, you know, questions come in. And, and that's what we'll be keeping our eyes on. Yep. I think we have entered what we will call the end game, where it kind of just becomes up to leadership to, to say, you know, what's the big ticket item that we're funding and what kind of agreement can we strike? Um, so we're entering an interesting period of the, the session when kind of the rubber hits the road. Yeah, I think Senator Keekheffer summed it up well, right, when we talked to him on Tuesday and he told us that Wednesday, the day of the Economic Forum, is really the start of the, the legislative session. And it's it's true. Until you know how big the pie is, you, you can't start cutting it up. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's about all the time we have uh, right now. We're going to be heading off to the legislative basketball game tonight. Yes. So we got to get dinner and everything <laughs> going here. Um, we're excited to see if the Republicans or the Democrats wins this one. Great annual tradition that we have here up at the legislature in Carson City. Um, just want to thank Megan for joining me to chat about the Economic Forum today on the podcast. Yeah. And, of course, want to thank uh, Joey Lovato, our producer, for always making us sound podcast smooth a reminder to email joey because joey doesn't get a lot of fan mail and we want him to get more fan mail so his email is joey at the nvnd.com and of course we want to dedicate this podcast to garrett who is the one person that has emailed joey and he says he's a loyal listener from london so we really appreciate you again garrett uh keep listening keep emailing joey and also thanks to brett weber another loyal podcast listener who is in washington dc thanks for listening thanks so much for your time we really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you next week Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. I know Michelle already did an outro, but I just wanted to remind everyone to send in ideas and questions for our 100th episode of Indie Matters. You can email me at joey at the with your ideas. 
Also, make sure to subscribe to us and rate us and listen to us on all of the podcasting outlets from Spotify to iTunes and beyond. Thank you so much for listening.